Good morning. It's great to see you. We had a great service at 9 o'clock. Uh, I want to encourage you sometimes, um, every once in a while, uh, we do the same, uh, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but functionally the same services at 9 and 1045. If you ever want to meet some of the crowd that comes at 9, pop into that service. Um, as you're in here often, um, if always kind of just look around, be aware of the people that are normally kind of in your area. We all are creatures of habit. We kind of tend to sit in the same spots. Um, and when you don't see some folks, like this morning, I know we've got a few people out, just, just check in with them through the week, ask them how they're doing, check in, see what's going on. Um, sometimes they're just serving, sometimes maybe they were sick, and it gives you a chance to know about that and pray for them. Um, also, it's just kind of a nice encouragement to say, um, hey, we just we thought about you, we, just, we didn't catch you, and, and you were on our minds, so make sure that you do kind of connect and reach out where you can. Um, this past week, I don't know if you're a baseball fan or particularly a Braves fan, uh, but I had a chance to, me and my dad do a Major League Baseball trip every year, and we um, got to hang out in Atlanta, especially last night, they, or Friday night, they, were, they clinched the, uh, the NL East, so that was, fun, that was fun. We were down there in that area they built around the stadium. Um, now, the 9 o'clock service, I said that, and there was kind of like a roar of the crowd, so we got no, Ron, you're the only Braves fan in here this morning, maybe. Um, where's Jay at? Jay, I don't know if Jay's able, able to be here this morning, but he's, well, the other Jay, we got two Jays. Not that you're not important, Jeffs. I love you. I'm sorry. I, I, I got nothing for you on that one. Um, so yeah, he's leaving with the med- Don't leave with a medic bag. We might need that. Um, people tend to bump their heads when they fall asleep, and when I preach, they tend to fall asleep. So um, uh, I was down there, and um, great time, great time in Atlanta, um, just down there watching some baseball and stuff. Um, we, were, we were at the game on Friday night. Now, my dad is somebody who likes to get um, everywhere early, and by early, I mean uh, first. Um, but first by a large margin, all right? Um, we, we, had a, we had a flight that, that flew out of Atlanta. He, he doesn't like to drive um, more than just a couple of hours, so he said, hey, I'll, let's, I'll fly us down there. And I said, great. I mean, that's awesome. I, I'm, I, my arms did none of the work, but I rode comfortably on a plane for 45 minutes to Atlanta. And uh, we were flying back out on uh, Saturday morning early. Our flight was at 8.30. Uh, we got there over three hours before our flight time. Uh, we flew Delta. Delta wasn't even open. If you fly much, do you ever remember beating the company there? Like, that just doesn't happen. You, you actually can't progress past that point unless they're there. And, and they weren't there. So we, we get places early. So Friday night, we got to the ball game early. And there was a guy and a, and a, and a girl sitting um, in the seats beside us. Now, I'm somebody that, at least at the beginning of the game, whatever my printed section, row, and seat is, I'm going to that spot. I may move at some point to better my seats, but you know that walk that people do when it's like, okay, you were caught, you are busted, you've been here from the beginning of the game, these weren't your seats, and they're kind of walking away like, ah, gave that a shot. That's kind of like the walk of shame. I don't want to do that walk. So if I go to another seat, I want to know that it's open. Well, so I go, and, and I mean, hardly anybody's in the stands yet. Everybody's buying merchandise and stuff, and this couple's sitting right here, and our seats are directly beside them. Well, I sat down, and I noticed... Um, this, this couple was one of two things. Either early on dating where there was a lot of nervousness because there was zero conversation. And this guy literally is like rubbing the skin off the palm of his hand the whole time. Or they've, been, they've known each other long enough to where he's done something dumb and she's just not speaking to him. I really don't know which way it was going. I was dying to ask though. But because I didn't know them, I didn't want to make it awkward not knowing which way it could go. Now, if it was early on in the relationship, I would have gone all in. If he just did something dumb, I would have said, hey, man, why don't you come to the bathroom? Let me kind of talk to you when I'm a pastor. Like, I can help you with this. 
So as the game's going along, like no conversation. Well, we're towards the end of the game. Everybody's getting pumped up. It's, it's kind of a sure win, but, you know, they do the, the, the chop thing in Atlanta, and they're doing that, so the drums are going as loud. And my dad, because we both kind of noticed it, looked over, and he said, he kind of went, huh, any conversation? And I responded, nope, nothing between these two since the bottom of the fifth. Like, what's going on over here? Which wouldn't have been that bad had the chop and the noise continued. But right before this genius starts talking, the chop stops. The drums stop. So I say it, realize that I said it in absolute quiet, and I turn around and he's giving me this. He hadn't said a word, but finally his eyes spoke. And I didn't know, are you mad? Is this a cry for help? Like, blink at me, buddy. Give me something. I don't know what you're doing. And I looked at him and I said, uh, usually I deflect with humor, but I got nothing, right? Like I had nothing. So I just kind of left it there. So I left this poor guy in Atlanta either uh, on the verge of ending a new relationship or just trying to live and survive in the one that he was in. I don't know still to this day. It bugs me that I don't know. We had, my dad and I, what I thought was going to be a private conversation. But because of the volume of my voice and the truth of what I said, it became public in a very uncomfortable way. Now, um, I, I tell you that story, one, just to make fun of myself, and to kind of paint the picture for what we're getting ready to walk through this morning. So we're in this, this study through John. Now, um, we're, gonna, we're not going to be in the last of chapter 2. In the next couple of weeks, I'll put out some notes about that because I want you to have notes and info throughout the book of John. But we're going to be um, now in the beginning of chapter 3 this morning. And chapter 3 is famous for that John 3.16 verse, right? You heard it. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the version, that's the translation I memorized growing up. Um, and, and that verse is so popular that we make some assumptions about chapter 3 sometimes that aren't quite true. Like we assume that this verse, as it has proclaimed the gospel to everybody, was in an everybody environment. But it, it actually wasn't. If you've studied John chapter 3, you know that this, in fact, was a private conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that ended up, because of the volume, because of the truth of it, ended up going public, and, and now we all know about it. Because, remember, John didn't write in order of time and events. He, he wrote in order of purpose that God put on his heart. So within this conversation, just like all conversations, it's not just about the one clinching statement. Like, it's not just the one big thing that was said. There are, there's a lot of things that said within this conversation that's really, really, really good for us because we can hear it both from the perspective of Jesus as our Savior and knowing who He is because we know the end of the story, but we can also listen to it from the perspective of Nicodemus hearing and listening from a heart of, I'm trying to figure things out. I want to know. I'm searching, I'm seeking. So we get both of those perspectives in John chapter 3. <clears throat> so we're going to be traveling through this together. Um, we will go through, um, I, I was able to do it in the 9 o'clock service, so, so verses, if you're, t if you're kind of tracking with me through this book of John, we're going we're to be verse 1 through verse 21 um, today. And uh, again, there's, there's going to be several pit stops through it, um, so uh, take notes uh, the best you can and, and, and let me know if there's something that, that you didn't quite catch and I'll get you that as soon as I can. Um, verse 1, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This introduction is really important. Um, I, I'm going to get to that in just a second. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Now, Nicodemus is someone who was a Pharisee. He was in this religious group who didn't just interpret law, they also tweaked the law for their own purposes and sometimes added to that law. When it says that he was a ruler of the Jews, he wasn't king, but there was cultural influence within this religious group called the Pharisees. If they said it was wrong, it drove culture towards believing that it was wrong. If they said that you could or couldn't do something, they were really culture shapers from a religious perspective. The, the, the issue with these Pharisees is that it had gotten to the point where they, they really had lost almost practically all humility. Um, they really saw themselves as the religious elite of a select group of people, the Jews. So they really had a superiority complex. It's like they were, they were called out and removed and special as a people, but then even as the people that were called out and removed, they then sat above all those. So this is the perspective that he often lived in and talked through with his, um, with, his, with his associates, with his friends, with the people that he was connected well with. Well, he comes to Jesus, interestingly enough, at night. In their culture, um, things that happened at night were, were looked at as things that were secretive, that were kept private, or maybe were mischievous. So the fact that he went to him at night was a little bit of a concealing step that he took. It, it may be that Nicodemus didn't want anybody, anybody at all, especially the Pharisees, to know that he was going to this rabbi that did not teach and preach and do the way that they did. It may be simply that he was maybe chosen. Maybe they kind of drew his name and said, you go represent us, find out what this guy's about. You're curious, why don't you go check it out? But he didn't want other people that were perceived as maybe a lower class knowing that he was going and asking questions. After all, he's supposed, he was supposed to be the one that had all the answers. But he goes because he seems to be, he seems to be curious, very curious, and also very confused because he says clearly, he said, based on the things that I'm seeing, remember, uh, the, the miracles, and, and John, we talked about it last week when we, when we went through chapter 2 with the water and the wine, that the miracles are called signs. He's seen signs. Now remember, this is not order of event. We, uh, yes, we've only seen one miracle, one sign in this book, but this is, this is in order of purpose. So Nicodemus has, has witnessed many things potentially, and he's recognized there's no way somebody does this, and they preach what they preach unless they're from God. So he goes, okay, there's a connection here between this guy and God our Father. I don't know what it is, but i got to figure this out. Like, I, I need to know what's going on. Well, Jesus has a response to this one single individual that he's now in a nighttime conversation with. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus came in seeking, kind of identifying, like, Jesus, listen, I'm hearing some stuff, and I'm seeing some stuff, and it seems to match, so there's consistency. Um, you're obviously somebody special, and, and Jesus, aware of his seeking, Jesus goes straight to, you know, nonsense, it almost seems like. He tells him, he says, listen, you, you, you want to enter the kingdom of God? And, and he knew, he knew really probably the, the, the main question that Nicodemus had on his heart. Maybe Nicodemus was somebody that was looking around and going, okay, I'm not God. And what if I'm wrong? What if my opinions don't matter as much as they do? I know this awesome and holy and powerful God. What if he's ultimately not pleased with me? How do I get into his kingdom? 
And Jesus shoots straight to that. He says, you got to be born again. Now, born again, from our context, makes sense. If you've either grown up in church or been in church a while, you know this term, born again, gets, gets attached to this idea of salvation, this idea that we were saved from something by Jesus. Um, Jesus explains it a little bit more in other passages. We see it pop up in different ways. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is calling somebody to follow him, and this person famously responds, um, before I follow you, I need to go and bury my father. Um, we understand their culture, and, and it's not that this man's father was on his deathbed. In other words, there would just be a day or two before he would pass away, but, but his father was at the latter stages of life. So really what he was saying is, is you know, I, I'll, it's not that I don't want to follow you, Jesus. <clears throat> there's, some, there's some family things we got to transition. There's some wealth to gain. There's some, there's some things that if I'm here are going to give me an advantage in life. I, it's not that I'm opposed to following you. That's probably just another season of my life. Where Jesus' response is, listen, if, if, if I call you to follow me, let the, be, let the dead bury the dead. He, he's not saying that they're just left to sit out there as, as a corpse. He's saying, listen, spiritually speaking, if you're called by God, if, if, if Jesus calls you, there is new life in being saved. But there is this thing, I, I guess you could maybe say, being the living dead of being lost. You're alive, you're functioning in this world, but you're spiritually dead. He said, listen, there will be plenty of people who won't be seeking me to handle those things. There'll be plenty of people who will want just the material gain of that, that will want to be there for that moment. You come and follow me and step into the kingdom that will provide for you and that you will learn from and you will be secure in. It's this idea of living dead. In, in the prodigal son story where the father represents God and the son that wonders represents us, I don't know if you remember what he says about that youngest son when he comes home and, and the father goes out and receives him. He goes back and he talks to his older son that's there and frustrated. He said, listen, we've, we've got to celebrate. My son that was dead is now alive. It's this idea of in salvation there is new life in it. Who we were passes away and who we are is really who we are. At this moment, this, this, this idea of the living dead, born again, starts to really implant in our minds, hopefully, as um, there is a reality in being saved, there's a reality in being lost. And, and the differences of those two things should shape us when it comes to dealing with people, if you know that you're saved, dealing with people that you know are lost. It starts to put in context what they can understand and what they can't, how their minds will likely work versus how your mind will likely work. Um, what, how do we communicate in a clear gospel-centered way? We have specific responsibilities to them. Jesus is starting to, to really paint this picture and, and to tell Nicodemus, where you stand right now, God may have done things through your people. You may have, have really dipped your feet in the religious realm, but he said you're not, you're not in the kingdom by faith. Nicodemus responds, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, can I re-enter his, my mother's womb a second time and be born. Nicodemus is very much on the literal right here. Remember, he's seeking, some, he, he's seeking Jesus, but, but his understanding is shaky. He's, he's, he's listening. He's trying to understand. And Jesus is painting this picture of him that doesn't quite make sense yet because, remember, he feels that he's already been chosen. He's already okay with God, that he's already got good position in the kingdom. And he's sitting there going, born again? Like He's taking him literal. He's basically, this is his idea. Okay, I remember how I came out. Well, I don't remember it, but I've been told. I've seen it. So to be born again, like it happens again, 
Well, like dying's not an option, so ew, no, like that, no, like I'm old, I'm, 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 I'm too big for the space, I'm not taking a backpack, like I got like, no, yuck, like what, this doesn't even make sense, Jesus. And, and it's clear, I mean, his, his mind is, is being stretched and, and Jesus is just, just entering the conversation, working with him. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water, and the Spirit. Now, born of water and the Spirit means um, the water is not baptism here. It's, it's the cleansing of sin. Uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about um, water, milk, and wine and, and how that rolls into the New Testament from the Old Testament. Um, water always represents this, this washing of sin. So it's the washing of sin. And, and also, born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is who comes into us, is who calls us into our salvation. Our salvation is nothing that we arrive at, that we achieve on our own. It is what he calls us to. Jesus says that you must be born of these two things um, to be able to enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, I, I want you to hear that this morning because it's very important for us to understand that we are, we are specifically, when we are saved, we aren't just um, people trying to do our best. We, we are something now. When it says that if we are born of the Spirit, we are Spirit. In other words, there is, there is no cap to the amount that we can live faithfully for God. There, there is no limitations on what sin can be released and, and relinquished from our lives. Um, who we can be in Christ is limitless. And that is who we are. Because before that, really our destiny, our, our potential is limited by our sinful nature. It just, we just can't get to God on our own. So he expresses this to Nicodemus, and then he says this, Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now at this moment, Jesus gives Nicodemus some Holy Spirit theology and doctrine to be able to really truly live on. Because the closing statement is how we know this directly applies to us. It says, so it is with everyone born in the Spirit. So basically Jesus is saying this, if you belong to God through salvation in Jesus, if you're saved, then what I just said directly pertains to you. Now he's not just talking about the wind as we know it and as we see the evidence of it. He's talking about wind as it pertains to specifically the Holy Spirit. He, he's linking these two ideas together. Um, all through God's Word, he, he teaches and preaches His own truth much like we do. He uses physical examples that we can understand to make a spiritual application. So right here, Jesus is using wind. Now, there's four things in here. These won't be on the screen, but there's four things about the Holy Spirit that's super, super important that, that Jesus is, is trying to teach Nicodemus and is really well worth our time to take note of within these first few verses. First one is this. It's, he, he says this. Um, the wind blows where it pleases. Um, no matter how bad I want God to do something, God doesn't simply act because I want Him to. I, I'm, I may say that I really want the Holy Spirit to go in and go ahead of me in a conversation. And my prayer might be, God, you know, really work in this person's heart. But just because I want it doesn't mean he's going to go do it. 
Now, we know consistently from the Word what kinds of things that Jesus is up to, what kind of things the Holy Spirit's up to. Amongst believers, He's up to unity. He's wanting to get us together and keep us together and help us to work through our problems with each other. Um, He's wanting to show us Jesus all the time and how to see Him and how to understand Him, how to live for Him. So we know what He's up to, but He's up to the things that, that He is going to do. Uh, just because I want it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. There is a will when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The second thing is this, um, that, that he blo- it blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound. Now, for all of us, we probably could come together on an, in an agreement when it comes to us wanting to know, hey, God, what should I do right now about this? It would be great, right, if the Holy Spirit was a huge especially electronic, so it would change when we need to change it, road sign for us, right? Like, just boom, just set it right down here in front of us. All right, God, um, what do we want me to do? Okay, here, here, here's, watch, just watch the sign. It's going to be real clear. Take the job, right? And for some of us, we're like, all right, Holy Spirit, quit the job, right? It just, whatever it is. Um, it, it could be make the apology, say I'm sorry. It, it could be all these things. I, I, I'm like, I'm, I have trouble spelling with my hand like that. I graduated from Eastern Guilford, so sometimes I'm like, this morning I made apology. Three words um, is, is because I didn't have a good upbringing. But it, it, it would be great if the sign was just that clear, right? There will never be a time where God leaves us empty of evidence that the Holy Spirit is working. But quite honestly, if we're realists as Christians, it's not always as clear as we want it to be, right? It's not often that clear. We're, we're, we're looking for the statement, the sign, the movement. But there is always evidence. And that evidence will be consistent with everything that is in God's Word. That's how we test it. Uh, I told you I was at the baseball game this, this weekend, um, and the leadoff guy for the Braves, Acuna, I mean, this guy can just kill a baseball. Um, he hit his 41st home run, I think it was, on Friday. And, and when he hit this home run, I mean, it left fast. Uh, McCann hit a home run, but he hit a home run like a, some of us guys. He hit like the old man home run. He hit it as hard as he could and just prayed as he just like trotted to, to first base. And, and he almost stretched a home run into a single. I mean, it was just like it, it was, he, he was moving slow. But when Acuno hit it, I mean, it flew out of the ballpark. But here's the thing. When it left his bat, it's coming this way. It went so high that the wind came in and just, just pushed the ball over. Still went out, still went out, but you saw the wind physically move it. Now, here's the beauty of that. Now, if you heard the crack of the bat and you listened to the crowd roar and then you just saw the, the screen flash and the fireworks go, then you know a home run just got hit. But if you watched, if you watched the ball, And when it left the bat and you saw it go and then you saw the wind push it only to still make it out, now the home run has a story. It's got more depth to it. And I'll be quite honest with you. As a believer, you can live your life just day by day and the goodness of God in many ways will just flow into it and you'll see a lot of celebrations in life and you'll make it through a lot of different benchmarks in life. But when we really are attentive to God's Spirit and how He's leading us, and we really look and see, God, what are you doing and all these different things, that's when all of a sudden our Jesus story becomes so much more detailed, so much richer, and so much more meaningful when we share it to other people. And we become so much more confident in what we're seeing. 
It says that you can, it says here that you can hear it. You know how much wind has to be moving for you just to hear it? You might see some wind, but to actually hear the wind blow, that means you know the wind is gusting. God is saying here, yes, the Spirit will move. He'll lead, he'll direct. And God will also provide evidence of it for you to be able to know. The third thing is this. Um, the wind has a will. It goes where it pleases. There's evidence of the Holy Spirit. Um, you can hear it sound. But you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. There's always this mystery when it comes to the Holy Spirit, right? We just, we just want to know what you're doing, but we just can't quite necessarily always say we're exactly right. You know what that is? There's always something for us to learn. There's always something for God to be able to show us, teach us that we don't know. And he does so much of that through the Holy Spirit. You ever read a passage of Scripture and it feels like the Bible just like jumped up and just clapped your face like that? You know what I'm saying? Like You ever had that moment where it's just, and I, mean, I hope it doesn't because honestly, I'm pretty sure I just paper cut my left eyebrow, um, which are usually thick enough to defend things, but evidently. So, but it's that feeling where it's like the Holy Spirit just grabs you and it's like, yes, this is what you need to know right now. There's always something more. It's that new truth that you never saw for years and years and years of your life. There's always something to learn. And finally, there's this. With this idea of we don't know where it comes from or where it is going, but it does start somewhere and it is headed somewhere, the Holy Spirit is always about a mission in your life and in mine. You know, sometimes we, uh, we meander, we kill time. You ever said that? Uh, you got to be somewhere at 2 o'clock. It's 1 o'clock, you've already eaten lunch, and, and there's just virtually nothing to do. So you eat, you know, you grab some coffee, or you eat a, you know, a gallon of ice cream that you didn't need, or, you know, whatever it is. You're waiting on somebody, so you just you play an hour's worth of games on your phone. Um, you, you ever kill time like that? You know, God never does that. He's never just kind of killing time, waiting on something. There's always a purpose in what the Holy Spirit's doing. So if he's speaking to you about something, it's not a waste of time. It's not a, it's not a non-serious message. It's always something that is going to bring you and me closer to God and let other people see him better. It's always worth the listen. It's always worth the understanding. And now, he tells Nicodemus this, realizing, and we can read this and really even kind of know, Nicodemus probably doesn't fully get this. But he, he, he pours this out over Nicodemus. And, and, and this, is, this is Nicodemus' answer, very honest. How can these things be? I mean, he's, just, he's listening going, I, I don't even know what to do with what this, you know, what to do with anything with what you're telling me, Jesus. Like, you, you're, you're explaining things that are on another level from what my brain just naturally comes up with. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. Now when he says we and our, this is a place to where Jesus doesn't seem to clearly just say it, but he is saying it. He's saying that he is God. He's talking about the Father, the Holy Spirit, and himself. He's saying this is us, this is we, this is our message. He says, if I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe me, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Remember, at the very first of this, he drew this line between it is something to be saved and it's something to be lost. And he's saying, if you, if you don't believe in me, if you're not saved, then, then, 
then me telling you about heavenly things isn't going to make any more sense than it ever has. The fullness of that truth comes into our understanding as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us in our salvation. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. This is right before this famous 1 John 3.16. And, 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 and we make a mistake if we skip over this. So here's, here's the issue. Jesus says to Nicodemus in, in a few verses prior, He said, aren't you a, a teacher of the Word? See, Nicodemus was somebody who knew in detail the Old Testament Scriptures. And Jesus is saying, listen, I know you're struggling right now, but, but just think about all that you do know. Think about the things that should start clicking and start connecting in the dots because you do know the truth of what God's been doing and what he's been up to. You just don't understand it because the fulfillment is right in front of you. So Jesus, to help him out, he's connecting two major dots. The conversation that he's in with a story that he knew from back in the Old Testament. If you go back and read Numbers chapter 21, the, the Israelites are being led towards a mountain. And they are, believe it or not, complaining. <gasps> I know, complaining never happens anymore. That's just an Old Testament thing. That's just in the history. Complaining never happens in your car on the way to church, right? Because your kids don't get to stay home and still watch YouTube. Like, complaining never happens when, when you're at home or you're at work or anywhere else. I know, it's this thing where people basically, they do this thing called griping. It's when you are frustrated because you don't like something and you just get real vocal about it. Um, you can read it about it in the history books. So, they're complaining, they're griping about their living conditions. And God, who has is, who is graciously led them out of slavery and is caring for them, has been patient. But their complaining is all about them and, and it's not about, um, God, where are you taking us? So that, in fact, is the sin. When, 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 we, when we basically don't trust God and want to complain about what we're experiencing, that's pride. That's where that sin comes in. Well, as judgment, as punishment, God sent poisonous snakes. Now, I know you're going to ride home today and your kids are going to start complaining. And you're going to think for a second, what if there were some poisonous snakes under my seat? Like, don't wish that on your kids. I'm saying, you know, just, just be patient with them. Be patient with them. But these snakes come in and, and they bite people. And because they're poisonous, there are people in, within the Israelite community who die from these snake bites. So panic is going crazy. Nobody's got an answer. God speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to form this snake and, and take the form of this snake and put it on top of a pole. And tell the people, when, when they've been bitten, to look at this image of this curse that's been sent and trust God that His care for you is real and that He will heal you. And it says in Scripture, clearly, as they record in history, that, that the people that got bit in faith that looked at this statue were healed. They did not die. Jesus is saying, hey, do you remember that story? Yes, I remember that story. He said, okay, now let me help you understand something. Those people were saved. Their lives were rescued because they looked at the image of their curse. When Jesus stepped on the cross, just like that image of the snake wasn't the snake. He wasn't the sinner. It was just an image. Jesus had no sin, but he lived the image of the curse on the cross. And he's saying, Nicodemus, listen, this is what I'm here to do. I'm going to be the image of the curse so that others that need healing will be healed. Others that need salvation 
will be saved. Not because they deserved it, but because God's love has always been great for his people. And Nicodemus is now starting to go, oh, so that was just to show us what he's doing now. And then he blows his mind one more time. He says this, for God loved the world in this way. Uh, if you're like me and you memorized it, for God so loved the world, it's, it's not that, that, that Jesus and what he did was a greater form of God's love. God's love is always great. But it was his love for everyone. That, that word world takes in every human that, that breathes air. Now for Nicodemus, that didn't make sense. He's going, hang on a second. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't register with that verse. Um, we're supposed to be special people. I, I'm, the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the better of the select. And Jesus is going, no, nope, sorry to break it to you, buddy. It's for everybody. One of the great sins against the gospel is when we don't love and preach Jesus truly to everybody. And he says that he loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's the gospel wrapped up in one verse. Then he says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown and be accomplished by God. Now, Jesus says freely what the gospel is. is God's love is so great that he sent Jesus as his son, but God as a representative sacrifice so that we could know him. And he says this, that Jesus didn't come just to be this reigning judgment, this voice of negativity. He said, I came to save. Because clearly Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, listen, you want to talk judgment? Here's judgment. If you're in me, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus, you're not condemned to separation from God. You, you know God and you can draw close to him. In our birth, our physical birth, we were condemned in that. We couldn't reverse the verdict, not on our own. We couldn't do enough good to offset the bad because how much good truly offsets bad? It's a ratio that we just can't justify or figure out. But then Jesus in verse 19 says something. He said, if you want to talk judgment, which the Pharisees often talked about, this was a major subject of their conversation. He said, you want to talk judgment? He said, let's talk judgment in this way. He said, this is judgment, that the light has come Jesus came, and he said there are some that loved what they loved and loved what they wanted so much that they went after it instead of after Jesus. He said, but there's some others that in seeing their salvation, falling in love with Jesus, they loved Jesus so much that in salvation they willingly took their lives into the light to be fully exposed, to see what God was showing, and to know what God wanted to work on with them. That takes a lot of trust. That takes a lot 
of love, to love someone and trust someone enough to fully expose yourself to be able to hear, know you're wrong and change. Because that's the three-version message of repentance. To know that someone is so great, so God, that what He tells us to change is actually worth changing for His glory and our good. When we were flying back on Saturday morning, um, if, you, if you fly at, at all, um, you know the first, uh, the first call um, for a flight is for people that need assistance or have children that basically need to get on the plane first um, and, and have a minute to be able to just get settled before just the rush of people get on. So there was an older lady that was traveling, and she was with, um, I, I know it was her daughter, and I, I didn't connect the details to know if it was her daughter's um, husband or her son, but she was traveling with them too, and, and they had her in one of the airport wheelchairs, which you know doesn't have the sides on it, and, and it is good basically just for going from point A to point B, not the most secure seat in the world, but it gets you to where you need to be safely. So they, they take her, and, and she starts going down the ramp. Um, now, her ticket, I found out from her daughter, was literally the back row of the airplane. Very back row. So they get her to this point, and, and when I get on the plane and we're boarding, um, she's there at the second row, and she's still sitting there. And she was actually sitting in, the, in one of the two seats that me and my dad were sitting in. So I was able to get about to where she was, right in the row behind her, um, and they needed to stop everybody else. And I started to talk to her, her daughter and her and just kind of check on them. And I found out what was happening was um, they were having to bring a aisle wheelchair down to the plane because the normal ones, even though they look narrow, aren't narrow enough. There is a wheelchair that the airport has that is just exactly wide enough that you can back it down the aisle and have someone in it or push it forward down the aisle, and it's just wide enough that it will fit all the way down between those armrests and get all the way to where your seat is. So this is the wheelchair that she needed, and, and she did not have the strength to make that walk on her own. Um, in fact, to get her just from that seat into that wheelchair, it took several of us not just picking up underneath her her arms and her shoulders, but her daughter actually had to just finally grab the back of her pants and, and even lift from her waist because her, just, her legs just simply didn't have the strength. And, and see, this, as I'm watching it, I, I, I read last night, just reread over what I, we're getting ready to talk about today, and, and I see another one of these real-world examples that God weaves in just to show us in front of us really what the gospel is. That in our lives... Just like Nicodemus, we can put great effort forth and we can work really hard and we can get to a point. We, we can all, all reach a point. But there is always the, a gap in the distance between where we can get to and where God is. Because that way, as Jesus says, just like that airplane aisle, gets narrower. Because you have to say it's just through Jesus. It's not through all these other things. And to be ushered from that point and taken from that point into God's presence. Everything that brought her down there wasn't good enough. It couldn't fit, couldn't go. But there was a way. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. There is a way. He, he told him, listen, 
you're off base. But you're here, and you're listening, and that's good. Because when you're listening, we can talk and we can communicate. But he's telling him clearly, there is one way, and I'm it. I want to tell you, if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is one way, and he's it. The good news is that he was that representative death on the cross. He represented the curse that's on humanity, the, the, the guilt of sin and the punishment of sin. And he represented it well. The Bible tells us, the truth of God's word says that he paid completely for all of our sin. And that in believing that and giving our lives to him, praying that to God, say, God, I give you my life. Jesus is Lord. He's in control. I'm going to live my life the best I can for him. You know my heart, God. I need you and I need to be saved. That in that prayer alone, the Bible says that he's faithful. If you call on his name, he saves you. And that's something that the Holy Spirit puts in us, the desire, the calling. And then he doesn't just capture our heart romantically. He completely fills us. That's what's free and available to you. If you've never done that, you can pray that prayer, and God will save you when your heart is committed to him. It doesn't depend on us. It doesn't even depend on our words. It's in Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that after the service up here up front. You can even just check the box on our card that says, I, gave my, you know, I, I, I became a Christian today. I, be, I gave my life to Jesus. And we'll, we'll send you some stuff. We'll contact you and make sure that you know what these beginning steps look like in, in early in your Christian walk. But if you are a Christian, if you do know Jesus, then you fall into these categories that Jesus mentions over and over today to Nicodemus. You are somebody that is spirit. You understand, and you can understand God's word and his truth in a way that others that don't know him can't. So we, have, we, can, we can pursue that. You can know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. You can see the evidence of it, and you can dig deep into that, and you can discern that, and you can, you can follow that. And you can, you can fall in love with Jesus, and you can trust him enough to bring your life into the light to say, God, what is it, and, and help me. And he won't leave you out there just alone and exposed. He will be with you every moment forever in your relationship with him. I really pray that that is the Jesus that you see this morning. I pray that that is the faith that you're beginning to walk in. And if you're just here seeking, wondering, curious, like Nicodemus was, then I'm glad that you were here for this conversation. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to pray, and after we pray, the altar is going to be open for a moment. If you'd like to come up and, and pray over something, um, if you'd like to talk to me about just beginning a conversation about what does it mean to be saved and to know and trust Jesus there's another need, please, we want you to be free and, and feel willing to come up. But in the truth of John chapter 3, the truth of John chapter 3, there is really some great richness to it. And I really want you to hear what the Word of God says and really begin to process it and meditate on it. That your identity in Christ is something specific. That the Holy Spirit, understanding how He works... And embracing that, walking in that, is a real possibility. To know that the light isn't something to fear and avoid. But it does come with the love of Jesus. Fall in love with Him. Because it takes trust. I pray that you hear this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus that seems so private. And realize that this is the same kind of communication that he wants to have with you. Yes, the words he says 
between you and him are good for everybody. When I talk to Jesus, what he says into my heart and what he says out of his word is good for all of us, but it's personal. And I hope if we take this story that seems so public, but we realize it's so private, I hope that that's that's the moment that you can have this morning to say, you know what, out of the public environment that I'm in, out of the public um, proclamation of Christianity and the gospel, that I can live in private conversations between me and Jesus. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I pray that what you are doing in our hearts today, God, just continues to carry through in our lives. Lord, help us to understand your word. God, to know the truth of it. Lord, thank you that we can discern what your word says through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we can be called into salvation by the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, that Jesus, in his name, and casting our eyes on him, as as God, you said in Isaiah 42, Lord, if we look upon you, there is salvation. Lord, if we look at Jesus like this serpent that was held high for Moses and for the people of Israel, God, we will find salvation and comfort and truth in Jesus and him alone. And God, we thank you that your word faithfully tells us that because, God, we need to hear it. We need honesty from you, God. We live in a world that will tell us everything we want to hear and fulfill none of its promises. So God, we need your trust and we need your grace. So we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?